It's time for the PowerMizzou.com podcast with interviews and analysis of your Missouri Tigers. Now, here's your host, Gabe DeArmond. Welcome back to the PowerMizzou.com podcast, episode 270. If you haven't listened to the first 269, go back and do that first, and then you can listen to this one. Actually, whatever, listen to any one you want. Uh, Gabe DeArmond, Mitchell Forty here, and first want to tell you, so Father's Day's coming up this weekend. Our podcast is going to relate to that, but obviously the best thing you could get your dad for Father's Day would be eight Shakespeare's pizzas. For sure. Uh, so you can do that, and actually if you mention the Power Mizzou podcast or just Power Mizzou or who knows, maybe mention my name, mention Mitchell's name, say I heard about it from these two guys that do a podcast that talked about Shakespeare's. I don't know who the hell they are, and I'm never listening again, but do that. They are going to give you a 5% discount over their already discounted group rate. So eight or more pizzas, you pay with one card, you're going to get 5% extra off of that bill over anything simply for, well, I was going to say listening to this podcast, but really you're done. Like you yes. don't even have to listen to the rest That's of it. That's true. I will say this for, for Shakespeare's. The last time my father, who was going to be on the podcast, was in town, he said, I want to go to Shakespeare's and I want to get that pizza you like, which of course listeners should know is the Panda Pepper. <laughs> right. And so clearly, if it's if it's good enough for him, it's good enough for you. Well, next time he is in town, make sure that he mentions the podcast right, right. and orders eight of them. Yeah, of course. And uh, and we will be set. All right, so it is uh, a little bit different podcast this week. Uh, we're not going to talk a whole lot of Missouri sports because, frankly, there are no Missouri sports right now anyway. So uh, unless we want to break down the uh, the track and field championships. Mitch, you got anything to say there? Uh, there was a couple All-Americans. That's all I got. Yeah, I don't, I don't know, know who they were, but <laughs> they did a good job. Uh, so we have, uh, in honor of Father's Day, we're having both of our fathers who – Probably you guys know Mike DeArmond, uh, 40 years at the Kansas City Star. Pat Forty uh, has worked pretty much everywhere, about the last 10 or so at Yahoo Sports. And we're going to talk a little bit less sports and a little bit more just just kind of uh, about everything they've done over the, uh, the past 30, 40 years in this business. And they will probably insult us a little bit. Although, guys, uh, we did get one request just to have you on to talk about swimming for a while. So if you want to do that. You know, feel free. Don't get me started on that game. I'll go all day. Yes, I know. Actually, you guys can just hang on and talk about swimming with each other when uh, when we're done. And I will text you updates from the uh, Como invite where I will be for like 32 hours this weekend. But, um, no, so everybody listening to this has has certainly read plenty and and knows both of these uh, gentlemen, I think. Mitchell and I, most question, most of the first questions we get anywhere we go is, how's your dad doing? So eventually that might change, but it hasn't yet. Uh, so we want to start just kind of, we want to give you guys a chance to kind of hear about, about their paths through this business and, and all that. So we're going to start and uh, either one of you that wants to start. So how did you, fir- when did you kind of first decide, hey, this, this is what I'm going to do and, and get into this business? Pat, I'll defer to you. Well, okay, I'll go. (laughs) Uh, I decided I was going to get in this business about uh, uh, 10 years before I actually did. I was, uh, you know, nine years old, and uh, uh, I was uh, going through, and I actually wrote a paper for a class that said I was going to go into uh, journalism. Uh, However, I did say I was going to go into uh, radio and TV, uh, and 10 years later, a speech professor 
noting uh, my uh, distinctive and more so than uh, Ozark accent suggested I might want to write. <laughs> <laughs> Classic face made for uh, for radio and, and print. There you go. Um, yeah. to, to answer your question, I you know I I probably knew somewhere at least a little bit around the same age as your dad. Um, I remember in fourth grade going out and playing baseball games and then coming back and writing game stories about them for my dad to read. <laughs> so I think that there was a little bit of that kind of on the brain. And then in high school, uh, that crystallized a little bit more. And then I went to the University of Missouri specifically to become a sports writer. And one of the first things I did there was to bump into Mike DeArmond of the Kansas City Star and Jim Thomas of the St. Louis Post-Dispatch and Tom Chattel and all kinds of other great writers out covering Missouri football. So I kind of watched how they did it. And uh that was no small influence on me. Back in the glory days of Missouri football. <laughs> yeah, we, uh, you know, go ahead. Yeah, they went like 7-5 and five to the Holiday Bowl. Those, those were good days for a while. <laughs> yeah. We, yeah. We said we wouldn't talk too, too too much about Missouri, but obviously, you know, it was kind of an important part in both of your all's uh, stops and, and careers and whatnot. So uh, just kind of, you know, how, how did that, you know, time, I know obviously it was longer for, for Mike, but uh, how did that kind of, you know, form you as a as a journalist and, and make your career um i'll jump in on that mitchell just uh you know i mean honestly really well like i said just having a lot of other really talented adults to watch do the job was was a great thing and the fact that you know you get thrown into the beat in a pretty substantial way via the missourian and even with the man eater you know it's not like you're just there for kicks, you're there to, you know, to actually try to compete on the beat. And, uh, you know, Kansas City, St. Louis, great papers, great writers. Uh, the Columbia Daily Tribune had some excellent writers at the time, uh, Mark Fennelly as well. And so, you know, that was that was a great introduction. And, uh, frankly, Missouri losing and writing critical stories and having them kind of react harshly to us was a good seasoning test. To uh, to kind of get your feet on the ground and say, okay, this is what it's really like. So it was it was good for me. Yeah, me too. I I'm reminded uh, of, of a certain football game in 2007 out at Arrowhead, uh, <laughs> and we uh, a bunch of us in the Missouri Mafia, as it's known, uh, and there were I don't know Pat, it must have been ten or twelve of us, and we all uh, we all got together for a picture, and, it, and that was interesting, uh, spanning spanning the years. So, you know, the Missouri method, as they called it, which was uh, here, we're going to throw you into the pool. And if you don't drown, you'll, uh, you'll become a sports writer or a journalist, uh, you know, really, really worked. Uh, uh, and uh, I've got to give uh, credit to uh, Al Onofrio and, and Norm Stewart uh, for uh, preparing me for uh, covering uh uh, Major League Baseball, uh, because they were, uh, uh, Norm was, uh, you know, typical. I mean, he, he, he took your hide off uh, until you proved that uh, you could bleed a little. Uh, and Al Onofrio actually banned me from practice uh, uh, because I quoted uh, a, uh, a uh, running back, Booker T. Washington, uh, accurately about his playing time. And uh, and and he sent uh, an assistant coach after after Booker T and got him to uh, 
to say that he'd been misquoted. And uh, so I was gone from practice for three days, whereupon I, I pulled my tape recorder out to Coach Hunter and offered to play him the interview. <laughs> and, and he said, "He said, welcome back to practice." <laughs> <laughs> now we're all banned from practice every day, but that that leads into what I think everybody wants to really hear. Like I, I say all the time, and and I now can be a little bit of an old man and uh, and say that you know people now are covering Barry Odom and covered Kim Anderson and Conzo Martin. Like these guys have never yelled at anybody. Um, I got Norm kind of uh, toward the end, but you guys got peak Norm. So, uh, so each of you, and, and it is okay. Uh, we we can put an explicit lyric tag on it if we need to. But uh, please tell your best Norm story for for the Missouri fans. Oh boy! Uh, you want to go, Pat? <laughs> no, go go ahead, Mike. Go ahead. All right. Uh, my best Norm story by, by far is uh, uh, back in the days when uh, they had the. Uh, Monday morning teleconference at the big eight offices uh, down by the river in Kansas City. And the only way you could ask a question was to actually be at the big eight office. So there would be 10 or 12 of us down there. And and, uh, Bill Hancock was the uh, uh, media guy for the big eight at that time. Uh, And uh, Bill had a, uh, as he does today, had, had a habit of smoothing things over and taking the rough rough edges off of, uh, of things. And so he would actually ask the questions. We would write them out and everything. And I wrote out a question that had some hard edges on it. And I, I just told Bill before we started, I said, I said, you just as soon let me ask the question because if you, if you mess up the question, I'm going to interrupt you. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, uh, and he, he, he read the question as I had, had uh, asked it or had written it out, and uh, Norm paused for a moment, and he says, "Who in the hell asked that goddamn question?" <laughs> and uh, Hancock said, "Mike DeArmond of the Kansas City Star." And uh, so I, I, at this point, Bill was flustered, and I said, "Let me have the microphone." So, so uh, you know. And I, uh, I said, yeah, uh, Norm, uh, I understand you don't want to ask the question, but, uh, you know, and, uh, and, and this is Mike DeArm, and, and answer the fucking question. <laughs> <laughs> and Norm did. So that was good. <laughs> Pat, do you have a run-in with Norm? Uh, yeah, not quite that good, I don't think. But uh, two quick things to add. First of all, um, I was in that group picture in 2007 in Arrowhead Stadium. It was very cool. Uh, and two, uh, a lot of people thought Norm found Norm to be prickly, but a good guy underneath. I never found the good guy part. Quite <laughs> frankly. Now, Norm was always a jerk when I interacted with him. So I don't have any of that, you know. Good old Norm. No, Norm was never really that good a guy uh, as far as my dealings with him. Um, a couple of things. One, I remember, like, I wasn't on the beat, but for some reason they sent me in. I know what it was to do an NCAA tournament preview story because the two guys that had been on the beat for the Missouri and both got kicked off it at the Big (laughs) H tournament for various shenanigans uh, that apparently embarrassed the Missourian. And so all of a sudden they threw me in. 
and I show up at the basketball office on like, you know, Monday after selection Sunday, not knowing anything other than, you know, I'm being a general college basketball fan. And I, I walk in and Norm is sitting in a chair in the foyer area, filling out a bracket uh, <laughs> at, at the behest of the secretary. And he, and he sits there and like his, his second question is like, can we beat Duke? And I was like, holy cow, he's picking Missouri a long way here. And he goes, yeah, we can beat Duke. I'm picking <laughs> us to win it all. And he turns in the bracket. This is, now, what do you want? And I asked him like three questions, terrified, and he barked out three answers and I left. But the, uh, the other one, I wrote a story about when I was at the Missouri in my senior year, like the whole senior class had transferred. I think it might have been like one guy still there, but everybody who had come in four years earlier was gone. And I wrote about that, and Norm went ballistic and called the uh, managing editor of the paper who thought the story was unfair, da-da-da-da-da-da. So it was, you know, a couple classic Norm anecdotes. Yeah, um, I mean, you you dealt with, you know, Bob Knight as well. Like, that's uh, that I feel like that prepared you well. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, I was ready for Bob Knight, although – you know, Knight actually physically wanted to fight me. That's so true. Yeah. Norm, Norm never got that far with me, thankfully. And I know but, uh, Knight was worse, but Knight also won three national titles. My dad was at the the Indiana Missouri game where Knight had the went after the NCAA guy who said he wasn't going to show up. Pat, I don't know if you were at that one as well. That was what ninety ninety four ninety five ish. Yeah, I was not there. That was in Boise, I believe. Right? Yeah. 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 Right. yeah that was that was mm-hmm. two days before Tyus Edney. Mm-hmm. So, uh, <laughs> so I mean, everybody listening, a lot of people listening know that, that you guys went to Mizzou and covered Mizzou, but then I know my dad has covered K-State, the Royals, Olympics. Pat, you've, you're now a national guy. You covered a lot of Olympics as well. Is For both of you, what, what was the beat that you had the most fun covering? Who, uh, you know, honestly, in terms of just, like every day being kind of a bit of a different adventure. Southern Indiana high school sports, my first professional job for the Courier Journal in Louisville. Uh, there were 90 schools, 100 and maybe 110 actually. Um, and it was a basketball insane area and people just ate it up. And every day there's, you know, there's some different story going on somewhere to have that many schools to cover. Uh, and that, that was my first, you know, first professional experience, but it was a blast. I, I loved it. And that's, I will always say to young journalists who, you know, think that they should be stepping in and, and covering the NBA at age 23 or whatever, you know, there's a lot, a lot, a lot to be learned and a lot to enjoy from covering uh, lower levels of, of beats. I'm, I'm not going to let that lay. I, I, <laughs> my first year at the, at the Star, uh, they they had uh, Jay Greenberg. They, they had just hired Jay on my recommend, recommendation. And uh, Gerald Jordan was was uh, uh, still covering the high schools at at uh, at the Star, and they, we had three leagues in Kansas City. Uh, one uh, was uh, the Interscholastic League, which uh, was uh, predominantly inner city, and so they put the uh, uh, fresh white kid on, on that. Uh, Ger- Gerald was uh, uh, African American, and so they put him on the almost totally white suburbans. And Jay, being Jewish, they put him on the Catholic prep. Uh, <laughs> the uh, uh, you know we never we never asked why uh, that that happened, but uh, I can tell you I didn't enjoy that year. 
Uh, it was, uh, it wasn't, I, my, my top, uh, was the Olympics. I covered eight Olympic games and, uh, and I was, uh, just going through some, uh, old papers that my, uh, my mother who just passed, uh, we were cleaning out her house and she had kept everything I wrote actually in full paper form. She hadn't cut them out from the 94 Lillehammer winter Olympics. And this is where Tommy Moe, uh, the first day, uh, ripped down the downhill and and, uh, and and upset all the Austrians. And Bonnie Blair won one or sixth Olympic medal. And Dan Jansen finally won um, 1,000-meter speed skating after after failing in, you know, three previous Olympics, uh, I believe. And, uh, and what I remember about that was uh, Karen Rosen from the Atlanta Journal and and I were the last two in the uh, speed skating um, the media room, and uh, and she was sitting across from me, and we were both just typing madly about this wonderful thing with Dan Jansen, and he won, and he, he out of the darkness he plucked his infant daughter and skated around there, and Karen and I looked up, and we both had tears in our eyes. Uh, the Olympics was like that every day. And what was even better was that nobody at the desk knew what I was writing about. So, you know, they didn't really edit it that much. <laughs> hey, Mike, I was at those Olympics, too, and it was unbelievable. There was a great column to write every single day. Yeah. You know, you throw in the Tanya and Nancy stuff and the Norwegian cross-country yeah. skiing. I mean, it was gold every day. Yeah. I don't want to turn this too much into like a, a journalism class talk, but I, I am curious to, to ask this this one question just because, you know, part of some of the things you all have described with, with interacting with, with, you know, a coach every day and, and having a reporter who's dedicated or multiple reporters dedicated to cover, you know, high school sports is so different from the way the media landscape is now. Uh, just kind of, you know, as, as you all have been observing it, uh, it now, what, what do you feel like is, is maybe the, the most valuable thing that, that is kind of missing from uh, you know, the days when you all first kind of got into the industry? Oh, well, newspapers are dead. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the major thing that's missing. Uh, you just have fewer, uh, you have uh, fewer, I think, uh, what I'd call professional uh, journalists and, and, I, and I'll, uh, I'll uh, lather you guys up, uh, Gabe and Mitchell, you 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 both conduct yourselves uh, with professionalism, and that's, that's why Pat and public. I are so proud of you. <laughs> well, that's why Pat and I are so proud of you. No, no journalist I ever knew where they saw it was professional and private. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good point. Um, I, you know, Mitchell, I would say that just that there is a greater fan element to sports journalism now than there used to be. There is, I think, far less investigative and hard-edged and critical sports writing than there used to be. And I think both those things are to the detriment of the readers because the most readers, and I you know, I know that, uh, not all of them, but, but most readers are like, when you go to the doctor, you say, give it to me straight, doc. You know, tell me what's, what's really going on. That's what they want us to do. They don't want sugarcoating. They don't want topspin. But that seems to have developed because I think there's a vocal minority that wants that and says, you know, you guys need to be on our side. And I never viewed it as being on anyone's side, per se. And even if you 
covered the local team, that doesn't mean you're an extension of the team. It doesn't mean you're an extension of the athletic department. It doesn't mean you're a cheerleader for them. So I, that, that has changed to me, and I don't think that's necessarily for the better. The biggest, the biggest thing we always get now is there is no breaking news because people are breaking their own news on Twitter. Um, can you guys, for, for the people listening, because I, I never really worked when this was true either, but what was it like when you knew you had a story that nobody else had, but you know nobody was reading it until 5 o'clock the next morning? I mean, just that, that process of, of breaking news when breaking news was a big deal. Yeah, that's a really good point, Gabe. That I mean, it's so different the news cycle now. If you broke the news, you get maybe ten minutes or something. Uh, right. And, and you yeah, have to you, tweet you, it, and somebody writes a story about your tweet. Yeah, right. Sure. Yeah, the, the, the exclusivity is gone. I mean, I do remember very, um, very fr- frankly, um, when I had a good story coming. You know, being up when that and being there when that newspaper hits the ground in front of the house because you're excited to see it and then i also remember being on the other side of it where you're i was when i was covering the kentucky basketball beat and going out you know opening the door to get the herald leader like oh please don't have anything today you know just like there there, there was it was a much different news cycle then um you had something for 24 hours pretty much you know radio and tv could maybe pick up on it sooner but from a print standpoint it was a much different timetable yeah i I, I remember uh, uh, not sleeping on the days that I had a story like that, particularly uh, something that was, uh, you know, somebody's about to get fired, uh, you know, uh, somebody's been arrested, <laughs> and, uh, and and nobody else knew about it, uh, and I already only knew about it because some lawyer tipped me off, uh, you know, and, and I wouldn't sleep. Uh, you know, because uh, deep down inside, I say, what if I get this wrong? What if I'm wrong? Oh, yeah. It's going to be in the newspaper, and it's not like radio and TV where, oh, yeah, well, I got it wrong, but but, but it's just, you know, it's uh, nobody's, you know, then nobody, there wasn't YouTube. They, 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 they wouldn't have me immediately all over the country, but but, uh, you know, all the readers, you know, would, uh, hey, Armin, you got it wrong. Uh, I got a couple of things wrong, but, uh, but not too many. But but I lost sleep every night that happened. <laughs> so I want to ask both you guys, and I know what this is for for my or what I assume it is for my dad who covered it when the the Hyatt Regency collapsed in, in collapsed in Kansas City. But the biggest stories that that you guys have have covered are. It, at most tangentially sports stories, you know, are, are, are much bigger. So, uh, Dad, I wanted you to kind of tell the, the story about covering that in Kansas City. And then, then Pat, after that, just kind of was there something over the last, you know, 30 years that you've been doing this that was just this, you know, national, international story that really has always stuck with you? Yeah, the, the, the high regency for, for people that don't know what that is, uh, it was a hotel in Kansas City that uh, the, the Skywalk collapsed, and uh, uh, they were having a tea dance, uh, and so the ballroom was was open, and uh, 161 people died um, eventually from from injuries and, and, and things in that. And uh, it was uh, it was at a time when uh, I was I was spending a year as an assistant city editor, and I was getting out. Uh, uh, to go home about till five o'clock, 
the afternoon and uh, along with another guy that was a, a, an assistant managing editor. And um, we saw smoke uh, from the direction of the, the Hyatt. We didn't know it was a Hyatt, but it, it's not too far from the Stars building. So we, we hopped in his car and drove over. And, of course, the first thing we saw was they were pulling bodies out of there. So um, uh, Monroe Dodd was the other guy. He went back to organize people to uh, to get reporters to come down. And, uh, of course, we didn't have cell phones then. Uh, but uh, I knew the Hyatt well enough that there was a it was a back door by a bank of phones, and uh, so I, I went back by the phones and, and called them and told the reporters to come to the back door, and I'd let them in because the police were about to uh, um, you know cut off the front, and uh, so we wound up getting um, oh, about ten reporters in, and uh, um, I was I was there for about two hours, and. Uh, Saw some things that were, were very hard to uh, forget. Um, uh, with the water spraying through, and you could, uh, you know, somebody would get frustrated and start to light up a cigarette, and the firefighters were literally tackling because they, they were worried about gas leaks. And um, uh, then I went back, and, uh, uh, you know, a, a tangential thing was a lot of the, uh, main editors were at the Lake of the Ozarks on a, quote, retreat. In other words, they were drunk on their butts. And the, the, <laughs> oldest, the oldest editor at, at, the, uh, at the paper was 35 years old. And so we were putting out this national story and uh, um, pretty much on our own. And uh, a guy I'd gone to uh, Missouri with, Steve Shirk, was the assistant managing editor also and and he turned to me in the news meeting. He said, okay, Mike, you were there. I want you to write the lead. Well, I wrote the lead with feeds from, you know, 10 reporters um, and put some of my own in. And um, I was sitting down at computer terminal, and I had most of the story written, but I didn't have the lead yet, of course. And uh, I just it came to me. I, I typed in a T-dance term to terror and with some alliteration. Uh, and uh, one of the other assistant city editors said, Mike, you can't, you got to play this straight. You, you, you can't go that way with it. And I didn't even look at him. I just growled at him. I said, Caesar, if there's ever anything that you don't play straight, it's this. And, uh, and that's what we went with. You know, that was our lead. And ended up winning a Pulitzer Prize for the coverage. Isn't that right? Well, it it did, but but most as as and and you know it, it was worthwhile. It was worthy of of the Pulitzer that year. Uh, but I found that any place that there is a uh, a disaster uh, of national or international scope, the newspaper is going to win a Pulitzer. Uh, you know, unless they really screw it up. Uh, I mean, uh, Katrina. I didn't the Times Picayune win a win a Pulitzer you know it's just everybody you're there and you're covering it and everybody's reading what you write and uh, uh, they will forgive you if you mess up a little Uh, and but you don't mess up much because it's it's the biggest story you've ever written Uh, yeah wow I I certainly didn't cover anything of that gravitas I will say Mitchell's mother one time, she actually phoned in the stop the presses order 
when there was the Carrollton bus crash in Kentucky that a uh, drunk driver killed 27 people by driving the wrong way on the interstate. It's the worst Ooh, drunk driving wow. crash in American history. Yeah. I think you're right. I mean, Mike, the, the courier won a Pulitzer for that. Um, but, uh, I, you know, from my standpoint, in terms of just, you know, something that had international repercussion, really the death of Muhammad Ali, who's from Louisville, uh, and having that, you know, happen in the town where I live and, uh, you know, going to the, his childhood home and how it just became this pilgrimage of people from all over the world, literally, uh, in the days afterwards between between his death and the funeral. And uh, that was pretty profound and a pretty, you know, great example or learning experience of exactly how big Muhammad Ali was to how many people. And uh, just, you know, seeing that outpouring in the scope of that. Uh, and I, I, I also had a... a a much less serious but but personally traumatic Muhammad Ali story uh, from the 1996 Summer Olympics when we're all sitting around the day before the opening ceremony, the day of the opening ceremonies, you know, wondering who's going to light the torch. And speculation had fallen on Edwin Moses, great uh, hurdler from um, Dayton, Ohio. And I saw Tom Archdeacon from the Dayton paper, and I said, oh, Arch, you're going to get screwed on deadline. You're going to have a hometown guy lighting the torch at midnight. And uh, I was kind of giving him a hard time about that. And we go and we cover the thing. And I send in my story with, a, you know, like an empty paragraph of, yeah, I'll fill in, you know, whoever lights the torch because deadline was 1230 and this was 1235. And all of a sudden there's Louisville's own Muhammad Ali lighting the torch. And I just had a complete <laughs> deadline meltdown i mean it was a disaster of the highest order you know it's a huge story that die all of a sudden goes a one that i wrote in like five minutes and I, i'm not even sure whether it was in swedish french or, or english but it was uh it was quite an experience let me tell you so I, my I, muhammad ali's uh last shining moment you know as a global citizen was not a great moment for me <laughs> So obviously, you know, we uh, did this podcast with because of Father's Day weekend this weekend, and and you all both kind of watched a, a son go into you know journalism. I'm just curious, you know, what what was that whole process kind of like? I know obviously a little more firsthand for for me, so we can we can start with Mike. But but just w were there times when you wanted to wanted to you know push kind of gave more into it? Were you times where you wanted to to you know pull him out of it? Were you times where you really you know had to catch yourself from from being overbearing with it what were the the, the challenges and, and the rewards uh i was surprised when gabe uh, uh was in high school and and he said he wanted to go into journalism i i don't think we talked about it uh much and uh um yeah i was just kind of oh okay well all right and uh you're going to make and, a whole uh, lot of money, I think, is what you told me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, you're going to make a lot of money. But uh, we, we, uh, you know, looked, as I remember, we looked at uh, two, journal two journalism schools. One of them was Northwestern, and uh, and uh, he went up there, and uh, I don't think he liked the uh, the female uh, uh, stuff, you know, that. and, 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 uh, and there didn't appear to be a, a whole lot of middle class kids like he was uh, up there. And then I went to Missouri, and, uh, uh, and and you know that's that's what he wanted to do. And uh, and it was great. I, Gabe and I had a, had a nice thing. And I, I don't know 
how many years it was, Gabe. Uh, maybe you know, but we got to sit side by side in the Missouri press box and yeah, cover nine years things together. Yeah, cover things together. And uh, and uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think I gave you advice uh, on how to do things. I mean, you, you knew what you were doing, and you didn't need me telling you what to do. Uh, yeah, may so, have sat there a few uh, times and thought privately, please don't embarrass me. But other than that, I, I don't think. Uh, well, I, no, I mean, I was, I was too uh, focused on, on my own ability to embarrass the, myself. The first yeah, I wasn't place, worried about you. The first place we sat next to each other was actually at the Boone County Jail the day Ricky Clemens <laughs> yeah. got released. So, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And no reporter was embarrassed that day. The entire University of Missouri exactly. was embarrassed about that. Uh, your experience sounds very similar. Um, I would say to mine, Mike, I, I'd say, and especially coming right down even to the, the northwestern Missouri thing, because, and it's funny, I was laughing with Mitchell with this all of about four days ago, uh, <laughs> that I'll never forget, you know, April 30th, 2013, he's, Got to make a decision that day, and we've been waiting for a decision, and Mitchell sometimes can be not the most decisive person. <laughs> and, uh, I, you know, I go to work, and when we finally were like, I mean, buddy, you got to decide. And I go to work, and I come back, and I walk in at 6 p.m., and he's just laying on the couch there, and I'm looking at him like, well. And he said, all right, I'm going to Missouri. But it was down to those same two schools, same journalism schools. Obviously, there was a swimming component as well, you know, whether he's going to swim and where. But, uh <laughs> You know, it, uh, he made the right choice, obviously, and uh, it uh, worked out well for him. But I don't think we, we hadn't had a whole ton of nuts and bolts journalism conversations. You know, it is, I mean, when we are together, we're more often talking about family and personal stuff and things like that. Uh, so, you know, the journalism, while it's it's important and it's, you know, part of what we, what we are, it's not, you know, the, the family stuff, I think, supersedes it and it was really cool um yeah when missouri came to kentucky and i, I covered a game with them and then last year at when it was georgia missouri and i was there and we're in the press box together and sec media days and those have been very cool events and i'm very obviously very proud of him but you don't need like, i agree with what you said mike i mean he's he doesn't need my advice at this point i'm like what i'm thinking <laughs> He's that, smarter than I am to begin with. I, I don't know why he got in the profession, but, you know, <laughs> that, so, that so game far, at, so good. That game at Kentucky, I remember, was about five hours after you'd broken one of the initial FBI, you know, into college basketball stories. And I think, Pat, oh, you were going right. on about 14 minutes of sleep. <laughs> yeah. My computer actually yeah. shut down two minutes before tip-off, so I think we probably paid about as much attention to that game. <laughs> yeah, you're right. That's what That was That was the exact timing of that. Yeah. Was, there was some stuff going on. So, last thing for me, um, Dad, you retired seven years ago. Is there ever any part of it you miss? Not a bit. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I was uh, I was in it for forty years after I graduated, and and I was in it for five years before you know I ever went to work at the Star and. Uh, and, uh, I, you know, I, I, uh, not only do I not miss, you know, the, the, the back and forth of the interviews and, and, and all that kind of stuff and, and with the fans, 
Um, uh, but, you know, I I don't even miss being at, at the games much. Uh, you know, the TV covers everything, and, and I, you know, I, I can yell and scream and hop up and down and, and curse to officials all I want, and, and, and I can't do that if I'm at a regular game. And, uh, yeah, but, uh, no, I, uh, uh, I mean, that's a loaded question. You knew I didn't miss it. Yeah. So. <laughs> People so, uh, ask me all the time though. So I figured I'd let you tell them. Okay. <laughs> uh, and, and, and Pat, uh, kind of, you know, first of all, I advise following my dad's, uh, method in retiring at 62 or sooner if you can but is that you've you've covered so much and done so much in this is there anything between now and whenever you're done that that you haven't gotten to do that you really want to um i've never covered the masters uh would i would like to do that the timing of that was such that it just never worked it was always right after the final four and while i had some chances to go that was always the kids spring break and we would go to destin florida and play on the beach and in the waves and play miniature golf and fish and do those things. And uh, I wasn't going to miss that to go to the Masters. But now uh, the nest is empty, so I'd like to get one of those under my belt before I pack it in. Well, my last thing, uh, just curious, what, what's the – what's the? I think I have an idea for, for my dad, but what's the worst fan pushback you ever got, the worst uh, fan hate? I think oh, I know boy. this for my dad. There was a there there was a there was a video blog about Michael Beasley at Kansas State that was well received. I know that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I brought I brought a lot of that on myself with those uh, video logs. I mean, I I was a total jerk, uh, and, and and it was fun to do. But uh, the uh, uh, the uh, I guess the 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 worst fan thing. I forgot. I had a guy that that would uh, uh, send me emails and 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 get on on a star's website and um, make sarcastic things about what I'd written and and everything. And it and it turned out the guy was from uh, Seattle. I, I didn't know him, uh, but it got so bad that. Uh, uh, um, uh, I uh, I got a computer program that could ping uh, his his uh, message, and it, it traced it back to where it was. And I, I I got it back. It even traced it to his computer at, at this business office in, uh, in in Seattle. And I just sent him an email one day, and and, and, and with his name. Um, and, uh, and, and said, if you send me one more snarky comment, um, I will turn your, uh, turn your name over to the FBI in Seattle <laughs> for stalking. And, uh, and, uh, and, and I'm serious about it. Uh, now I don't know if I had actually done that, but, but it got his attention and, and and he sent me one more email. He says, I was just kidding. And, and, and <laughs> I sent him an email back that says, go fuck yourself. <laughs> and I never heard from him again. There you go. Uh, oh, my. Um, yeah, Mitchell, I know what you may think, but I'm not sure you, you do know. Um, the worst fan pushback ever. This might be, this might be news to you. It's so, an actual oblique threat to your life and Clayton's life. Yeah, no, I knew about that. Mom told me about that. Okay, did you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, that uh, we were um, covering a we were investigating Louisville basketball for myriad uh, misdeeds. That's and, a timeless story. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. This was 1995. Could have been 2015. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah. Uh, um, one day I would go out to the mailbox at our house, and there's a letter in there with no stamp. It wasn't mailed. It was put in there by hand. And there was a handwritten note that said, I better stop because they would hate to see something bad happen to Mitch or Clay. Good Lord. Not even calling you by your full names, but by your, you know, kind of nicknames and uh, my attention. That was, that, was, that was the worst I've gotten. Now, there's been plenty of other stuff and harassment and whatever, you know, but that, that was the one that uh, actually bothered me. Well, we're glad to end this uh, podcast <laughs> on a very happy, positive note. Uh, don't... <laughs> here's, here's, the, here's the happy note, Gabe. They live. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Still exactly. Right. Yeah. So, but thank you guys both for doing this. Uh, happy Father's Day to both of you. I think I can speak for Mitch. This is uh, consider this your present. Great. <laughs> thank you. Hey, I took I took my dad to Shakespeare's this past weekend. That's good enough, right? There you go. It was very good, except I paid. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you, know. you got to get a hold of his boss. Tell him to give him a raise. So. Yeah. Right. Well. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, my, my my last word on the, on this podcast is I'm going to be in Columbia this weekend at uh, at that swim meet where my grand grandson is swimming, and uh, Gabe is going to be the announcer. And uh, so uh, a little we started out with swimming. Let's bring it back. Fantastic times will be had by all, I'm sure. That's true. All right, thanks a lot, guys. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Uh, that is, uh, again, both of our fathers, uh, Mike DeArmond, Pat Forty. Their voices are distinctive enough. I think you can figure out which one was talking. And, and like, I don't know. I, I think people will enjoy that. Like, they, they're both pretty familiar names to Missouri fans. And just I, every now and then you hear a story you haven't heard before. Yeah, absolutely. No, they have, uh, between the two of them, very long careers in, uh, in journalism. My dad was just telling me, I think, the other day was the 31-year anniversary of his first day uh, with a real job at the Louisville Courier-Journal. So certainly they've uh, they've both done a lot of cool things, covered a lot of cool things, and uh, seen the industry kind of change. So it's it's cool for us, of course, to uh, yeah. to talk to our fathers, but I think well, you all probably enjoyed it as well. The highlight for me, actually, of, of sharing a beat with my dad, actually it was before when I was in college, they Missouri football would do media days every Tuesday, and we would actually get lunch at those, mm-hmm. which was awesome. I mean, I would eat like two sandwiches and five cookies because I was in college but then my dad would write his stuff and i would always get a free dinner and beer afterwards that was the best night of the week man yeah. free free dinner and beer every tuesday night was the highlight yeah that's nice that's nice so visits haven't been quite as regular but uh, i did he did he did give me shakespeare's and did as, pick up the tab as i mentioned earlier in the podcast though i take credit because i introduced him to the pandas pepper pizza and that's the greatest <laughs> gift anyone can give <laughs> there you go so happy father's day pat <laughs> you, you have the pandas pepper and i, I obviously you can get eight pandas peppers. You've mentioned the Power Mizzou podcast. Call Shakespeare's. Go to their website. Walk in. Whatever. Mention this podcast. Tell them you you heard about the deal here. They're going to give you five percent off of their already discounted group rate. So make sure to do that uh, at some point. And we didn't ask for suggestions this week for how many can you name because again with with kind of the theme of this, uh, I, I came up with and and I'm not sure how well we're going to do here because I don't know how many there are. Uh, 
our families do not count in this because none of us are, are really all that famous, but famous father-son sports duos. I, I know two off the top of my I head. I don't think I know. I'm not sure I know any. I mean— I, the, I also forgot that we established this oh, and okay. have given it, it zero it seconds no thought. of thought. So, I mean, the Griffies were the only ones to play in a major league game together. Yeah. Oh, I thought we were doing—sorry. Yeah. I thought we were doing father-son sports writing contest. Oh, no, no. That's, nobody, why, nobody that's why I thought it was going to be so hard. Okay, I can do father— Nobody cares okay, about okay, that okay. at all. I thought that's what it was, and I was like, oh, no, I no. can't do this at all. Okay, no, yeah, okay, no. I can get a couple. All right. So, so we've got the Griffies. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Uh, the Mannings is a really obvious oh, one. Yeah. Yeah. There's a whole bunch of them. Can't believe uh, I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, uh, yeah. the, the Ripkins, mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, Cal senior managed both his kids at the same time. I yeah, think. Yeah. Uh, new one sort of is, is, would be Vlad Guerrero and Vlad Guerrero, Guerrero Jr. Who is yes. uh, kind of tearing it up right now in his rookie year in the MLB. And, and that, that reminds me of the fielders who I think set the weight record for a <laughs> yeah. father-son duo. <laughs> uh, maybe Cecil just of any other two, any two players <laughs> in MLB history. <laughs> maybe if just Cecil was there, he would have set the weight record for father-son. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, th this one, uh, I just thought of it with the, with the Mannings. I don't know. It do it's not quite as good, but the various Matthewses, there was, there's been a lot of Matthewses between, you know, clay now and then the offensive linemen. There's a few of them. There was a uh, Bruce I can't Matthews remember. Bruce Matthews was, was, was the father. It was the, was the first one. Yeah. And he, he's the uncle of clay and the father of uh, the, the Atlanta Falcon center and a couple other guys. Like I can't remember all their names, but the Matthewses, I think okay. it counts. That's a pretty good one. Um, I'm now running short. Like I feel like Steph Curry's child almost became a celebrity, but well, that Steph doesn't Curry's really dad count. played in the NBA. You can oh, do that's that. Right. So that's right. Del Curry, Del was... and Steph and Seth. That's that's right. pretty good. Uh, I don't know. This came to mind, and no one's going to know who this is, but I have to say it just to add it, and it, it's because it's swimming. No one's going to know, but Gary Hall Sr. and Gary I, Hall Jr. I knew Gary Hall Jr. and thought about that, but yeah. I didn't know if Gary Hall Sr. was a Yeah, I think he was even better. I think he was a gold medalist Okay. Um, a little while back, obviously. Yeah. I, I'm sure we could get more. I think for now, think. yeah, I'm running low. I feel like Simeon and Sammy Haley's father probably was a really good athlete, <laughs> so I think that should count. That's possible. That's very possible. Uh, but, yeah, I really – I don't know Yeah. Anymore. Well, see, clearly I didn't do a lot of preface. I thought we were doing right. sports. <laughs> if you think, that's why I, that's why I was like, oh, man, that's going to be a tough seemed, one. Yeah, that's that seems like a terrible <laughs> podcast. I mean, I don't know if this was our best podcast, but that would have made it the worst. Yeah, well, that's because – when I think you said in the text, like obviously not us, and that's why I was like, oh man, there's others. I don't know anyone's very qualifies as famous. Uh, there the uh, the the Murray. I, I don't know if it, somebody's father just died. Who was it? Jenkins. There you go, Dan Jenkins. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. Sally. Yeah, yeah, you're so right. there you go. There's the most famous okay. one. You're I right. Mean, yep, yep, I, yep. I think the the you know the Armands in forties are second and third certainly on that list. Clearly. So. Uh, yeah, that's uh, that's our podcast for this week. We wanted to go a different route. Um, I had this idea a few weeks ago. It, it lined up. Uh, your dad is on a cross-country trip to Stanford. My dad is most likely on his porch with a beer. Uh, I hope he is anyway. So yeah, retiree. I I would I would hope that that's uh, that's me when I'm retired. Yeah, I would hope that's me in about 35 minutes. And Shakespeare's pizza, of course. <laughs> exactly. Eight, uh, of, eight of them. <laughs> eight pizzas and eight beers. That's that's my afternoon. I'm I'm out. I may not even post this. Um, so uh, Missouri's got camp this weekend. Mitchell and Sean are going to be there. There's going to be six official visitors in town. A lot of recruiting stuff. Uh, not really interested in in breaking down a whole lot more. You know, Axel Okongo, the 13th guy on the roster. It yeah. happened. We're going forward, but. But we're really at the point where there's 
not much going on. Yeah, we're going to meet. Uh, we have, have a little roundtable sit down with Jim Sterk next week. Not that we're expecting like breaking news out of that or anything. Just a chance to catch up with him, ask him some questions. Uh, usually, you know, some interesting stuff comes out of that. But Texas A&M did announce today they will sell beer and wine. So by next go. Thursday, I think that. it's yeah, possible might Missouri that. might have a. But clearly, they're going to do it. Yeah. I mean, it'll be shocking if they don't. Right. Right. So yeah, uh, you know the the less less news you get from us probably the better for uh, Missouri fans absolutely so yeah we do meet with Sterk next Thursday afternoon we'll have a podcast at some point it will not likely be at the the same time uh, because we're gonna have to shift the schedule around a little bit to meet with Jim um I don't know just to finish up do you want to break down the hockey game last night you watched it I did not (laughs) uh St. Louis won Yes. So they won relatively comfortably, and they, that's that's they seem all. To skate well. That's all the analysis you're going to get from me. Their goalie played well. <laughs> there you go. So <laughs> seriously, though, a cool deal for St. Louis fans. Um, thanks again to to our fathers for doing this with us, and uh, hope you guys enjoy it. Um, hit us up on Twitter, like the podcast, follow the podcast, rate the podcast, all the things you can do with it. Do it. Go to Shakespeare's, get yourself eight pizzas, and sit around and watch the U.S. Open for the next four days. We'll be back next week.